You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games. As long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Howdy folks, this is Luke Hector on the 14th of November 2022 for another podcast episode. A little bit late this week as well, sorry about that, but I got a good reason, because this whole episode is based on that reason. Yes, I have been not only crazy busy with Essen titles to review, I mean, you'll have seen Flamecraft go up, you'll have seen Starship Captains go up, and, you know, in the future I've got to get Eleven out, I've got, well, these are all to edit, right? Eleven is ready to edit, um... Banner Festival is ready to edit. Wingspan Asia has just been recorded, as has the nesting box for Wingspan. So I've got four separate videos to edit. That's not including the fact that I need to do my Kickstarter video for this month in the next few days, because some projects are ending soon and I want to talk about various ones. So there's a lot of content to do, and also this podcast. So yes, <laughs> I've certainly been very, very busy. But in a good way, it's just this is that time of year where it does get a little bit crowded. However, there is some good stuff on the horizon for the channel in general because, you know, obviously that content is coming out. I will soon at some point get to do a top 10 two-player games and start that off, you know, because I've said I wanted to start that off very soon. But then also, uh, next Monday, All Aboard Gamer will be joining me. Uh, specifically, you know, one of the tr- the duet, unfortunately, not both of them. But, you know, I will be joined and we'll be doing a top 10 together. And by request from the Patreons, this is the most voted one they wanted to see out of the list I put up. By top 10 overrated games. Oh yes, the overrated games is back. We're going to be having fun with that one. So, uh, you know, people have spoken highly, both positive and negatively, on my previous one. It's going to be interesting, but, you know, we're going to stick to the last five years. So, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022. You might think, well, isn't 2022 a little bit recent because it hasn't finished yet? There's still a few games this year that I can think of that have probably been a bit overhyped, but for the most part, it's going to be 2018 to 2021 for the most part. It's just if I include 2017, I include a few games that I've kind of already talked about a lot in the past. The idea of this is that I want to talk about games that I haven't talked about before, or at least for the most part haven't talked about before, and we should get an interesting set of 10. And of course, I have no idea what his set of 10 is going to be, so it should be pretty good. But yeah, All Aboard Gamer next Monday, uh, I think it's 8pm GMT, but uh, there should be already a premiere date set on YouTube for it. Or maybe I need to actually set it up on StreamYard, actually. Maybe I need to do that. But like I say, keep an eye out for that. I will be putting it up soon, and so I hope you can tune in, regardless of where you're from. It's good to get those collaborations back. So, why have I been busy then? Well, I've been busy because of GridCon. GridCon 3. This is Paul Grogan's convention that he hosts basically by himself along with uh, Victoria and a couple of, you know, a few other helpers. But, yeah, he puts a lot of effort into this, like the rest of his content. Why don't more people watch his content? Seriously, get on it. But... 
you know, this was basically just over the weekend. So I got back last night. This was from Friday to Sunday. I even went on Thursday and played a couple of games um, on the Thursday evening because I basically took my laptop to the, the, the venue and did work for the day. I had to get up at six in the morning to drive for two and a half hours to get to Taunton so I could do work for a day. Oh, that was hard. But yeah, as I slept like a log that night. But lots of sponsors, Games Law, visit it. And mainly it's just turn up and play games. That's all it is. Turn up and play games. Nothing more fancy than that, except he does a huge charity raffle, and I will say it was huge. Yet again, I didn't win anything on it, because I never win anything useful on a raffle, ever. But, you know, a lot of people got some good games and some other games, <laughs> but also a lot of money was raised for charity. At least about four and a half grand or something, I think, was raised for charity. So, uh, definitely worth the event. But he puts it together, and this time we were at the Holiday Inn in Taunton. So, Taunton... It's where I used to be from. Yeah, I used to be in Taunton. Taunton is my hometown. In fact, from the venue we were playing the convention at, you could literally go through the bus lane onto Hamilton Road and you'd be on my street. That was my old street. I could even go by and point the same house to you. I wonder if it's still, well, it must be still standing, but I wonder how much it's changed since I lived there. Cool. When did I move out of that? When I was 24? 24? And then I would have gone back to visit every now and again, but then in the last decade... My parents eventually sold the house and moved just outside of Taunton, but I've got uh, my brother still lives in Taunton itself, and I still know some people in the area. So I do find myself coming back to Taunton every now and again to visit the family, and it's it's a little bit depressing to see how much it's kind of changed in some respects, particularly in terms of the high street and that. But you know, it's still good to see that some people I know there are still going strong, and I can still at least go to Sheppy's, which is a cider farm. In fact, funny enough. My drink has a Sheppy's glass. Yeah. <laughs> so I always make a pilgrimage to Sheppy's whenever I go back to Taunton and grab some more cider. So I've got a crate of it downstairs. But uh, can't knock a decent glass of Sheppy's. The best cider in the UK, bar none. Sadly, this is just orange squash to keep from disintegrating since the weekend. It really was a touch and go. But yeah, this convention is a blast. If you want one of the most friendliest places to play games with other people and to just, you know, to play a lot of Euros, particularly heavy Euros, but even light games are played there. It's not just heavy Euros, but, you know, you want to get your copy of Brass Birmingham or Ark Nova or Imperial Steam or, you know, you know, but then you also want to play your game of Wingspan or, you know, Heat or little filler games. You know, you can play pretty much anything you like there, but it's just, very friendly, well organized, the venue was good, food was decent, my room being next to a, uh, you know, a, what do you call it, a, uh, you know, next to the motorway was not helpful in terms of my sleep, but that might explain my slight, um, <laughs> maybe over randiness when I was doing a couple of videos earlier, but all in all, it was still great, uh, you know, I, you know, Love the food. Love the fact we could get cheaper coffee there. It was like a pound of coffee as long as everyone used the honesty box. I hope that the hotel doesn't withdraw that next year because I was certainly getting my money's worth for coffee by just putting a quid in every time. It was worth it. But yeah, got a lot of good games played and that's what this episode is all about. I'm telling people about, well, it's kind of like a not so much a praise Paul Grogan video. I mean, I'm saying obviously go watch his channel because I think his videos criminally get too few views compared to a lot of other channels that do the same stuff as him but worse so it's like come on you know go check out paul grogan's stuff you owe him for a lot of rule books okay you know iss vanguard you having good times playing that you owe him for the rule book on that one but 
this grid con is great. So the next one, I think he does it once a year now because it would be too much effort. So I believe, obviously, it'll be 2023 before you see the next one and probably not till later in the year. I don't think he's going to do one early in the year and I probably don't recommend he does because, frankly, he needs to take a break every now and again. But, yeah, certainly GridCon 4, I'll be back there, guaranteed. You know, that's not going to change. But the reason I'm doing this podcast episode is because I want to talk about some of the games I play because I played a lot of games for the first time there. And so some of them I may review in the future, but you never know when that will be. It could be ages yet. Some of them I may never review. So I just wanted to give my first impressions on a bunch of games, both good and bad, that I played. And just make this a kind of bonanza episode in a sense. So why don't we start with the first one? So we'll put me down in the corner there on the screen. Let's start with a fairly simple game, all right? Let's start with Village Rails. This is from Osprey Games, okay? My uh, friend has bought this one recently. And funny enough, funny story, the, you know, the publisher didn't send me Village Rails at first because they know that I don't like train games and they thought I might not necessarily want this because it's got rails in the title. Now... They are right to fear me when it comes to train games, but I love Ticket to Ride. Ticket to Ride has trains in it, but it could be any mode of transportation. I mean, hell, they already did it with the small boxes. But this could be village rails, village boats, village airplanes, whatever. I couldn't care less. You know, this isn't really thematic to trains. It's just the fact that they've used trains as the title and the type of artwork it is. But what this is, is an interesting little filler game. Well, I say filler... Maybe not quite filler. It's not really a 30-minute game. I mean, you could do it in there, I suppose. But you're talking somewhere between, the four, I'll say, 45 minutes to an hour is probably more likely. But this is a cool little card tableau building game. And it borrows a little bit from their other game, Village, no, Village Green, where you had a tableau grid of cards that you were placing down with objectives around the edge. But depending on how you put cards down, it could tank your efforts elsewhere and stuff. It was a really nice little filler game, but I don't think I have it anymore. Village Rails builds on that to an extent. What happens is you have these track cards and these trip cards. The trip cards are scoring opportunities and the tracks are the tracks. I mean, it kind of gives you a bit of a sprawlopolis feel there. And the idea is, is that you select one or two or, you know, one or... One of each or one of... Sorry, I am really mincing my words here. You can pick from either pile or both piles, right? And you take the the one furthest from the deck. The cards are double-sided, so there's plenty of different trip cards and plenty of different types of tracks. But in small world style, if you want to skip ahead, you have to put money down on each card that you skip and you take the one that you want. So it's that classic drafting system that we know from like of old and money can be quite tight in the early run. But what you're essentially doing is you're building a grid of yourself. So, oh yeah, there's Village Green. There you go. Village Green in there. So it's different designer, but it's same publisher and definitely that kind of same artist, I believe, actually. But essentially, you have this grid in front of you, and it's going to be a three by four grid. One, two, three, four. Yeah, three by four grid, and that will not change. You have to stick to that three by four grid and build adjacent to something you've already placed. The trip cards will go around the outside of the grid, but you can put them down in whichever order as you see fit. And the idea is, is that you're putting the tracks down in such a way to connect rail lines. So the rail lines are on the edge of the board and they will extend out via the cards that you're placing down. 
And so the cards have got various things like direct points or uh, an icon that scores at the end of the game for how many you have, uh, one that scores exponentially more for signals on the same track and, and so on and so forth. But they're basically it's icons and different types of terrain and you're trying to make the track as lucrative as possible. And so when the track eventually finishes, you total up the points based on what stuff's on the track, the symbology and the trip cards that you have. But then also you have this terminus card, which basically if you meet the criteria, even at its lowest level, you'll get a little bit of money. But the more you meet the criteria, the more money you get. And money is tight. And so, you know, being able to do a line not only scores you a bunch of points, but gets you a bunch of money is great. But maybe you tank the points a bit in order to get more money. Or maybe you accept that you're not going to get a lot of money, but you made a very lucrative line, whether it was two cards or went across your entire grid, who knows. And so it's a really cool tense little game where you're constantly trying to like fend off the opponents who are like oh don't take the card I want don't take the card I want oh you know why did you take my card but you're also trying to keep your money reserves handy because if you run out of money you're going to struggle to buy these trip cards because they cost three coins a piece plus how much you skip over and you know, you're probably trying to grab the cards you want, but you might not have enough money to do so, and it hurts, but then other people are grabbing the cards you want, and there's a lot of tension, particularly if you were to play this with four players. Wow, I mean, we were playing with three, and it still felt pretty tense. The artwork is beautiful. It's some very nice, I mean, it's, you know, there's nothing much in the way of detail, but there's a, you know, very pretty, uh, you know, pretty stuff there, and it looks the part on the board. Yeah, it's about trains whatever the artwork's nice and honestly this could have been about any mode of transportation and the game would still work but this is a cool little filler no well maybe not filler it's it's 45 minute game maybe an hour for your first time or with four players but it's a short game but it's a clever little game it builds upon what village green had and just adds a little bit more meat to the palette but I like the fact that you've got those Terminus cards. I think they're a cool addition. I like the fact it comes with a dial. I mean, yes, it's the most basic-looking dial in the world with very basic numbers on it, but honestly, I think more games need to come with these little dials to calculate score or hit points and stuff like that because this can't be that expensive to make. I mean, you take about five minutes to assemble these things, and then they may look basic and just be basically cardboard, but it allows you to record score without the use of tokens or a pen and pad or anything. Honestly, this is a cool little thing. Yes, it looks cheap, but it's functional. And Osprey games aren't really known for their aesthetics. They're generally known for being functionally decent games. But honestly, the artwork on this is pretty beautiful, to be honest. For, for an Osprey game, it's quite pretty. And we know that some of their stuff usually doesn't go down that route. But Village Rails looks pretty. Village Green is even prettier. You know, that was just a very pretty game. So this was cool. I think I came... Let's see. Somebody... Uh, yeah, the... Yeah, my other friend beat us both, but I tied with my friend, so the one who injured, who has the game like himself. And yeah, I enjoyed this. I it was I was pleasantly surprised by this one. I wasn't expecting to love it, and like I said, I don't love it, but I think it's good. I like it. I would happily play this again. I would I own it? Probably not. I think I might slightly prefer Village Green, but I think this was a pretty solid title, and I definitely recommend it for anybody who wants a small, compact game that. Packs a lot of punch in it, actually. This is one of those bang for your buck games, I'd say. You know, it doesn't cost very much, but there's plenty enough thinkiness in there, plenty enough tactics, and just a lot of turn angst of, oh, I really want a card that fits in there, but if I do, I'm going to lose out there. Do I wait? Do I get some trip cards and then get the tracks? Ah, oh, what am I supposed to do? And you go at different rates, which is pretty cool. So it's a, 
you know, an interest, well, not a different race. You always get a track card, but then you may get a trip card. So you're going to be building up your train tracks, but then do you spend out, splash out and get those trip cards? Or do you save your money so you can get the best tracks, but then lose out on points? Great little balancing system. But yeah, I was pretty impressed with this. Village Rails. All right, take a little swig. Let's move on to, um, I'm just going to very briefly talk about this next one. Deal with the devil. I am doing a first impressions video of this soon. Why am I doing a first impressions video and not a review? Because the biggest problem with this game is that this isn't really a game you can play five, six times in order to do a full review of it. Because it's a very niche game. This was my most anticipated game from SM for a while, but then the more I read about it, the more that kind of went down my list. Same designer as Alchemist, which is a very, you know, very cool formatic game, but a very heady game, a very sort of fiddly game, a lot of a lot of stuff in the box, like worker placement with a massive deduction game on top. And I thought, oh no, is this going to go down that route as well? Well, Yes and no. You essentially have four of you, and you must have four of you. Two mortals, one cultist, one devil. It's hidden roles, which I like, and that is probably my favorite aspect of the game. But each round, you're trying to get resources and build buildings in your medieval village while gaining reputation with the church. But you're trying to stay hidden if you are the devil or the cultist. And you're trying to basically have the most points at the end by way of the buildings and micromanaging your resources. You've also got these inquisitor cards that you have to fend off every now and again who, you know, unless you have your soul intact, they're going to give you a hard time. But what happens is that it's all done with an app. So the app basically has the, you have these little crates where you've got to be careful how you assemble them. If you assemble them badly, you could tank your own game here. But, you know, once you've got them done, they hold the resources and the bits of soul. And every role has their own different chest with the tokens that should be in it and what they can ask for. You use these to offer trades to other players, but you don't directly give your chest to the players. You collect them all up. They're all identical. You shuffle them all together. And then the app, which I don't know if there's going to be a picture here that shows it off. Basically, you scan the QR code at the bottom of it. And it tells you which player to give it to. There is a semi-random way that the app does it. It's not entirely random. There is a structure to it. But it will ensure that certain characters see certain boxes at times. And basically, with when you look at the crate, you're accepting or rejecting the offers that you've got. So you're sort of wheeling and dealing, getting resources, giving money, playing action events and stuff. And it's a pretty neat game bit long <laughs> three out three odd hours is pretty lengthy and it's uh, a bit of a rules overhead to get across but this isn't a game I don't think I, I this isn't a game I think I can play multiple times it's just it's a very fragile niche game you need the four players like or nothing basically but you need four people that are into games you can't play this with casual players you need to play this multiple times with the same group because the value of a trade is a little bit easier to dictate but the value of a soul what's the value of a soul if you let the devil get away with murder effectively then the devil's just gonna completely run away with it playing the mortals seems to be the hardest there i mean i won as the devil just against the cultist the mortals got completely creamed so you know maybe they gave me a few bits of soul too early for too cheap i don't know but it's not something that i could see myself wanting to teach every time i play it with a new set of players i think it would just unbalance itself and so i am going to do first impressions on this in more detail but for now know that i enjoyed it 
you know, the Dice Tower, like, played it wrong when they did their video and then gave it really low scores. I'm not at that point where I would say it deserves those low scores. But this is a very specific type of game and you need to be a very specific gamer with a very specific group to get the most out of it. Otherwise, it's one that you should probably skip. That's just my kind of edited highlights but i will do a video explaining in a bit more detail how the game went and you know let me know but you know, i was just glad to finally get it played because i thought where else other than the convention am i gonna get it played but that's deal with the devil you know wait and see for my first impressions video on that all right let's go i don't know shall we go to positive shall we go more positive or more negative um let's go Fully positive. All right, fully positive at this one. God, I hate it when other people are right. <laughs> you know me. I don't buy into hype trains, okay? I hate it when channels hype up games before they're released. I hate it when everyone's saying, ooh, this is the best game of the year, best game of the year, best game of the year. Now, granted, I have played games like Ark Nova that had a similar hype front and gone, this is the best game of the year and made it one of my favorite games of all time. They do come around. But most of the time, I'm always thinking, hmm, I'll play it myself and make my own thoughts, thank you very much. I mean, even Ark Nova. I was looking forward to it, but I was going to say, look, Ark Nova is one that I'm going to try, okay? I will try it, then I'll say it's one of my favorite games ever. And I mean that sincerely for this next one, Revive. Yes, everybody has been telling me crazily to go play Revive. But at Essen, it was 80 euro, and you had to queue for ages to get it. I don't like queuing. Queuing is boring. And I don't like spending 80 euro on a standard size game. 80 euro. That's a lot. Sorry, Lacrimosa was already too expensive at 70, given that it's going to retail for about 45. So, sorry, 80 euro. You're not getting my money for that. But still... I was glad that at GridCon, it was being played by a few people and somebody was able to teach me the game in full. So I sat down for a four-player game. Now, 90 to 120 minutes. Uh, yeah, right. Um, okay, we took three hours. Now, granted, I reckon we could have done it in two and a half. But we did get a setup rule wrong where we accidentally did something with the cards where it meant that we elongated the game by about 20, 25 minutes. So we could have possibly done it in about two and a half. I think 90 minutes is pushing it, although saying that, we played it with four. So maybe two hours is actually pretty doable with a certain amount of players, but eh, with four, it's going to be tight. But I have played it, right? I have played it, It's and people are going to be wondering what my thoughts are. You know, is it is it worth all the hype? Everyone's saying it's the best game ever. Is it that good, Luke? Tell us, tell us now, Luke. Tell us that it is the best game ever. Revive is... Actually, pretty damn good. Yes, it actually really is pretty good. Excellent, I think, in fact. It is definitely one of my favorites I have played this year, and I'm being honest in those thoughts. Now, it's not without its flaws. You know, I think that some people have glossed over a few flaws with this game, but the majority of this game is great. Now, firstly, there is pretty much no theme in this game. This is dry as a bone, so if you think this whole idea of, you know, saving civilization and exploration and all that is going to be the thematic thing for you, don't. This is 100% mechanical. But the mechanical stuff is really, really good. So essentially what happens is you have 
a main board with a kind of set of tiles that you explore. So you go out and explore with buildings and meeples and you flip them over, you find other spaces to build your buildings on or put your meeples on. And ideally you want to get points or find certain square, certain hexes that when you build next to them, they up your technology tracks somehow, whatever, as I say, theme shmeme, but get to the corners and there's some tiles with point scoring opportunities depending on what you're doing. But that's what you're doing on the map. What you also have is a player board that has some unlockables, such as a specific faction ability to make life a little asymmetrical, but also asymmetrical, you have the meeples that you can put down on the board, unlock different bonuses that you can get, or different player-specific special powers. So there's that aspect on your player board. But then you've also got this thing, oh my word, this uh, very scary looking technology track board. This houses your resources in the bottom corner, it's got a point track on the left which is just generic points for getting more technologies, but then these three tracks are technology tracks, and it may look complicated as all get out, but it's actually more straightforward than you think even though I kept missing what I could unlock and what I couldn't. Basically you have three tracks, they start at one and Every time you get an advantage of the numbers, when you get to a point where there's a circle next to the number, you unlock a different technology and you can stick it in. There's a couple of starter ones, but other ones you get will be from a drafted set of tiles, so you can have a very different technology track to other people. The reason I kept making mistakes is because some of these technologies require you to level up on multiple tracks. So this one here, I need to get to level 3 in grey, but then I also need to get to level 7 in yellow before it unlocks. I kept missing that when I was going through, and it is easy to miss some of them. I mean, there's a few on this board which are like, yay, I've unlocked it now. Oh man, I barely saw that tiny little bit of path sticking out from the other side into yellow. And so I had missed a few on that. But that little blemish aside, you'll get used to it. But the technologies are cool because you've got some point scoring opportunities at the end, some you know, other ways to get artifacts which are more point scoring objectives during, but it's cool to level this thing up. The resource tracker, again, pretty good. But here's the other aspect I haven't even mentioned. You've got these card slots. One you have to unlock here and two at the top and two at the bottom. This is hands down my favorite aspect of this game because these use these cards and these cards all look the same which is a bit of a shame, actually. I wish they'd actually spent a bit more on the artist and got them to do unique artwork, but basically these are the free pictures you'll see on all the cards, and that's a bit of a shame. But there's a top bonus and a bottom bonus as well, and the idea is, is that when you slot the cards underneath or on top, and this is not dual layer, I'm afraid, at least not for the card slots, so you have to just put them underneath or on uh, underneath the board itself, you get the top bonus if you slide them under the top of the board, you get the bottom bonus if you slide them under the bottom part of the board. But you can also upgrade these slots with these tiles that give you little bonuses if you play a certain colour card to the slot. And you can get up to three in these top ones and up to two in these other ones, so you can really make some slots super powerful, or you can diversify your board in such a way. But these cards effectively are multi-use cards. And honestly, is it now the new fad that cards have got to be top slot and bottom slot? Because Lisboa does it, but then Lacrimosa also did it. And now this one is doing it. I have a feeling that top and bottom slotting of cards is going to be the next new thing. But multi-use cards are always good, and I always enjoy them. But this decision process of how you can best use these cards and create an efficient engine and unlock cool stuff is really rewarding and it's just such good fun and you only do two actions on your turn so 
you've got about five or six to pick from, but you only do two. So your turns should be relatively quick, at least to begin with, because there's only so much you can do with two actions. You might think, well, I need to get over there and build on that tile. Well, that might take me four to six actions to do. And so I'm just building up my short-term plan in that respect. Although some turns can get quite lengthy when you start chaining off some ridiculous bonuses on cards and tiles. And if that person happens to be prone to AP, you are going to be sat there for a while. There is a bit of downtime in this game. If you play with a group who's familiar with it and there's no AP players, the turn will come back around to you faster than you think. And with two or three players, I could see this being really, really good fun. Four, maybe it outstays its welcome a little bit with four because three hours was kind of pushing it a bit i was kind of waiting for it to finish once it got past the two two and a half hour mark i think it needed to be a little bit shorter but two to two and a half hours is not too bad you're certainly doing a lot in this game you're doing a lot of actions it's not like you're just doing nine actions and then the game's over now you get plenty of stuff to do but there's just a lot of cool stuff to juggle around. I mean, you know, when do I use my cards? When do I use my main abilities? Uh, when do I build buildings? Where do I build buildings? Which direction do I explore? Do I need to find water tiles? Or, um, you know, should I get more cards? The, the card upgrades you get with better cards, they all look juicy. Shall I get some of these tiles to slot into my board? Shall I go up the technology tracks? Which technology tracks shall I do? Shall I hibernate, which is get all your stuff back and refresh your cards and then get a bonus but also unlock everything so you can go again how often do i hibernate it's ah uh, there's a lot of opportunities in this game a lot of tactical choices but also an underlying strategy for okay i'm going to unlock these bits and i'm going to level up this bit of the technology track i'm going to aim for purple cards because purple or whatever i'm going to aim for beige cards because i've got the power that gives me points for beige cards why not and so it's just a really cool collection of you know, different paths to victory as well as unlocks that feel rewarding. Like it's one of those, what's the phrase they use? Um, It's like what you've got in Gallerist and Kanban. Like every time you do something, you get a little bonus for doing it. It's positive enforcement or positive reinforcement, something like that. And so, yeah, when you do something in the game, you feel like you've got a nice little something for it. You know, if you're inefficient, then maybe you'll paint yourself in a corner where you can't do so much, but you've got the emergency switch you can use once every hibernation to give yourself a resource or if you're short by one resource then there's your emergency button but it's not to be overlooked it can actually be more efficient than playing a whole card if necessary just for the one thing you need but the card system having a few on display the way the board's designed there's a lot of care that's gone into this and i really did enjoy my play of this i reckon this would make good on something like board game arena as well you know tabletop simulator might be a bit of a mess but I'd be curious to know if there's a good mod for it. But yeah, I really enjoyed this. I'd love to see what it's like one player. Now, the whole campaign thing or whatever they put in it is a waste of space. I mean, this game has less rules overhead than I thought it did. I was expecting to be there for a massive long teach, but a lot of this stuff is kind of familiar territory for someone like me who's played a lot of heavy Euros. And so I didn't have too much trouble with it. And by the time we were finished teaching, it's like, oh, now we did have to look up the rule book quite a bit because there was some iconography that wasn't quite as intuitive and you know some of the rules were like hang on let me just see how that works and that so there was a bit of rule book checking but i reckon that after one play you'll get this game down and then you'll be intrigued to try a different faction with a different board and a different setup of tiles and grab different cards and grab different you know tiles to play is the replay value strong 
maybe i mean the cards are kind of generic resources and abilities for the most part but the technologies which ones you pick and which ones you get during the game could really shape up some interesting strategies the uh the tiles on the map the artifacts which give you three different ways to score but the more artifacts you get the bigger the multiplier there's a lot going for this game and a porter games are a mixed bag for me they're usually either really really good or really really meh Automania is a great game, it's on my shelf. The Magnificent was pretty bland, pretty boring. I've got no interest in whatever that oil rig one was, I forget whether it was called Offshore Rig or something, that doesn't look like something I would enjoy. They made a half decent roll and write. I know there was another game I really liked from them, but I can't remember for the life of me what uh, title it was, it was a long time ago. But this one is up there with the Automania, you know, it, well, Automania is I prefer this to Automania, but like I say, it's one of those games that I can sing the praises of and say this is a really, really good game. Now, this is based on first impressions, okay? So this is not a full review saying you must go out and buy this game because, remember, it can be quite long. You know, it, it can easily get to the three-hour mark if you're not careful. Even though we made the rules mistake, four players could easily take this to three hours. There's definitely, you know, a decent amount of components and decent sort of, well... The artwork's fairly generic. I mean, I like the artwork on the cards, but the rest of this artwork is kind of basic. It just looks nice on the table. Mainly, it's the design of the boards that I really like. The way that the cards go underneath the, the board and the things go in the slots and the little switch and the counters. You know, there's some basicness to some of the components, but there's a lot of good functional cleverness that's gone into some of these designs. And the other thing to mention is that 80 euro, that was expensive. This game is not a deluxe Kickstarter game, okay? This is a normal game that should be released as it is, without funky components and that. 80 euro doesn't quite justify the price for this game. As much as I want to get a copy, 80 euro is a bit much. So when it comes out in retail, I hope to get a copy of this, uh, albeit at a much cheaper price. You know, I reckon that's somewhere... I mean, you get a lot of stuff in it, and that's so somewhere in the 60s, I'd be happy to pay. Ideally, I think it should be somewhere in the 50s, but somewhere in the 60s, I would pay that kind of money to get a copy of this, but not £70, not £80. You know, that sort of area is just, no, that's way too expensive for a game that's not exactly deluxified or sprawling with content. It's just got a decent amount of replay value and is a genuinely good game. But yeah, Revive is good. I really enjoyed it, so I'm keen to, you know, play it some more and maybe do a review in the future, but it just may be a while before I ever do that. So just know that it's a cool game. Could it be on my top 10 of the year? That depends on whether it gets released on retail before I do my top 10. This might, if it doesn't get released until God knows when, it might have to just be one of those games that appears on the retrospective list in the future. But suffice to say, I'm excited to play this one more. Revive. So, okay, let's uh, take a swig out of my shippy squash. Mmm, mmm, sweet medicine for the throat. Alrighty, uh, we've got a couple more games to talk about. So, let's, oh no, we've got three more games. Alright, well, let's go with, um, let's go with a meh game, okay? Well, I say meh, good but problems. I'm probably going to review this game, but it will be a while because... It's not a review copy that I got. I bought it with my own cash, and I'm not expected to do a review from it. I mean, I've got to do a Vengeance Rollin' Fight first for them, and I really need to get on with that. But the other game from Mighty Boards, Hamlet, I got to play. 
got to play a free player game of this. Now this is done from the same designer as Pursuit of Happiness, so this made me quite excited, as did the whole idea of building a village that was communal. Okay, that sounded pretty good. Now the gameplay is for the most part really good. Okay, I like the fact that you're using the communal map and sharing resources and building these tiles and the village will look different every single time. Well, the hamlet will look different every single game. But there are some issues I have with it. Firstly, the Founders Edition makes this big deal of having this 3D like um, cathedral that you build. Except as you can see from the picture here, it's pretty chintzy, it doesn't look that great, and it blocks line of sight to everything around it. So what was the point? It was a waste of time assembling the stupid thing. But the other problem, um, so, well, another problem I had was that the turn order could literally mess you up without even trying. You go on these different tiles and you can move your meeples around and you share resources, but you can also replenish the resources in areas and get money for doing so. I had three rounds in a row where basically one player used, uh, like used a bunch of resources of these tiles, the next player replenished them all and got a ton of money and I could do nothing because I didn't have the money and the resources were there, but without money I couldn't do much else. And so turn order screwed me over i had no way of avoiding it it's not like i played badly it was just sucks to be you third in order and that happened more often than not where just bad timing meant that i couldn't do stuff and that doesn't feel rewarding and this is a bit of a race style game so if you get full behind then you're going to struggle to pull it back i mean i got to third place but thankfully i managed to close the gap quite significantly but that was mainly down to some really good selection of tiles that was not down to dumb luck or anything that was you know i had to work to get to that and i still lost outright but you get more workers in this game with money and donkeys with money that you use to ferry goods around. And if you get those early, you have a considerable advantage over everybody else in the game. You know, more actions enables you to pull off combos, enables you to like put stuff down and use it and get it out of the way before anybody gets a chance to even touch it. And so it just creates a rich, get richer feel with this game. And so if you fall behind, you might as well just cut yourself out of the running. You can consider yourself pseudo knocked out. And that's a, a bit of a downer. But that's not even the worst problem of the game. You know, because I enjoyed the communal aspect. Some of the components are chinsy. I think this insert is kind of terrible, but it's there. It does the sort of job. I can't believe that they originally wanted you to put these weird triangular shaped tiles and hexagons in uh, a bag and shuffle them around. I'm so glad they put these tokens in with the names on it. And I love the fact that when you um, grab a tile from the buying order, it then puts the various other related tiles into the bag so that you can draw them out and the village appears different. This is all good stuff, okay? So whoever was in charge of some of the graphic design, but particularly the size, like, is there a job for determining the size of games? I don't know. But for whatever reason, in the effort to make this a relatively small box, which they really did not have to do, a standard ticket to ride size box would have done well here. This game is too friggin' small. You, you are trying to squint at this map and 
have a look at this picture and see if you can actually tell much from here. But you've got to see what the various places do. And that's the biggest version that I've seen, this market. But then you need to see these tiny little resources. You need to tell the colors apart. You need to look at the different meeples. And there's meeples and colors all over the place. You've got yellow, blue, green, and red or something trying to trying to uh, blend in with forest tiles and mountain tiles and like greenery all over the place. But then you've got little flags on there. And then you've got... These things are meant to be in segments. So when you place a tile next to another, you connect up segments. Do you know how you tell a segment apart? Can you see these tiny little green splodges on the corners of a tile? That represents a segment, but then it's not always the corner of a tile. If you look on the triangle, you'll notice that this one has technically four segments in it. One there, one there, one there you can't even see, and another one there. It is in, you are squinting at this game a ton. It is too small. It doesn't take up much space on the table, but by doing so, they make it unwieldy to play. You can't sit that close to each other, and if you've got bad eyesight, you are going to struggle with this game like no other. It's just going to drive you nuts. You thought Tang Garden was, like, you know, badly designed in that way. This one just takes the cake. You know, and I can't get why they did it. Now, this could be a phenomenal solo game. And I haven't tried solo mode in it yet, and I intend to do so. And obviously I want to get it played more. But I've got very big tables at my club. I can't go on my big sponsored table at Dice Portsmouth and play this game. It will not work. It'll be far too big for, sorry, far too small for the table. And so what else am I supposed to do with it apart from go on a really titchy table? It, I don't get why they made it so small. So constrained. Why didn't they just make these tiles huge? You could have done it on you did it on Kickstarter. You could have made these tiles extra large or something and done it in a proper size box. Just feels like that was an afterthought, but it's such a critical afterthought that I can't believe they didn't do it. Especially for a game that will cost you a good 60 bucks to buy in a founder's edition. Now, granted, that means the retail version will be fairly cheap, and maybe that's something to say about it. The fact that it will be a cheaper game, but cheap cheap comes at a price even if it's cheap I, that's not a really, that's a bad metaphor but just having to squint so much to look at what's going on on these tiles and try and see all these colors blended together i mean if you're colorblind good luck you cannot play this game if you are colorblind seriously you just can't i don't know how a colorblind person could even remotely manage this it is just a, a smorgasbord of color all over the place some of which blends in too easily so I enjoyed it. I have some reservations over playing it with three, and I suspect four will just compound the issue. I hear that two player is a lot better, the back and forth. I think that will work fine. But honestly, I want to try this solo using the Turksy solo mode in it and see if that elevates my view. But yeah, this one is... Considering this had the most thumbs on the Board Game Geek Anticipation list for SM, I'm surprised that this one is... Uh, Got so many problems as it does for something that had the most thumbs. Hmm, this is what happens when you buy into a hype train. But we'll see. Maybe the rest of it will wow me. I don't know. I mean, I'm certainly keen to try it solo. And if the solo mode blows me away, then I might just be able to recommend this as a solo mode game. Because then at least you can actually see what it is you're doing. <laughs> because otherwise you can't. Oh well, more on that another time. Right. Do we go for... Let's go for Rant. Full on, well, uh, it's not full on rant. I don't hate this game, but coffee traders. And yes, uh, the keen-eyed among you will notice the 5 out of 10 rating I've given for this game because uh, it's average. I don't hate it, but 
uh, I was kind of expecting better. I was certainly expecting more theme, put it that way. But it's capstone games. They don't always go for theme. And this is uh, an interesting game because it's big. It's got a lot of stuff in it. And it's like three to four hours to play. And it's pretty complex. Although not necessarily from a rules overhead perspective. It's more just complex from everything that's going on in the game. I mean, this is a super heavy game through and through. But... I thought that this was going to give me a good feeling of coffee and you know, growing coffee and making coffee and selling it off. And then I found out a bit more about the game and it's like, oh, okay, no, it's really not like that. You have plantations. Yes, they all, they're all basically the same. You have these different tracks here, the uh, Arabica track. I kept mispronouncing it deliberately on the time. I was calling it the uh, the Arabic track at one point. Um, I called it the Arabiata track at one point, which I thought was quite funny. But basically, these are the types of coffee you can make, and they're all generic as it will get out. Yes, it is just colors. That is it. You spend a lot of time just basically putting a tile on the grid to say they'll spawn this many beans and leveling up this track here, these tracks, just to get rewards. Generic as all get out. You play over three rounds. Each round lasts about an hour. It takes a long time to play this game and we took longer because obviously we had to learn it and we were, you know, taking our time and stuff like that. But yeah, this is a three to four hour game, y'all. It's pretty insane. Uh, but then you've got this board in front of you, which is very much a kind of almost like a Terra Mystica style board. So you've got these places there and when you take them off, you get little bonuses. So it's very much a remove it from your board to get more stuff. But you only have about nine to 12 actions in this game, really, because you've got these free action cubes. You get one bonus one that you can use once in the game and you might be able to use a bonus one each round but at the expense of using other bonus stuff which frankly is more useful such as the money and the trader. But yeah, you're getting about 9 to 12 actions on average in this game. That's it. For 3 to 4 hours. Have fun. Perseverance was like that. This is no different. And the actions are pretty basic. I mean, you put a plantation down. Great. You spawn some workers on them. Great. You buy yourself a donkey. Great. And you put a cat on the board, which literally just means it makes a wild seed for you. That's it. There's your four actions. Pretty basic. Most of the time is spent because you have to spend ages in the worker phase and the trader and contractor phase and then the harvest phase and then the uh, refresh phase uh, and then the contract phase or that comes before whatever. And it takes forever to go through these phases. And that's, yes, you do make more decisions and do more stuff in those phases. But yeah, in terms of action choices, not a huge amount of them in this game, really. But then all you're basically doing is building these occasional buildings, which, you know, I didn't realize that these points weren't cumulative. So that scuppered me a little bit. But I think I came second only by like three points. So I did pretty well. But literally all I did was munchkin Brazil. So I was just leveling up a ton of green beans because all my contracts needed green beans. And these are, these are the contracts. There's a little tile here with a letter, three colors with shapes in them, and a number. That's your contract, people. This is your board. And you're basically... And look, more tracks. But that's not even the worst track of all. You know, well, actually, we'll get onto that track in a minute. I will at least say some positives before ranting about this. It is a looker. It, is, it does look very pretty on the table. For as boring as you know, generic tracks are, and the dullness and dryness of just leveling them up, 
it is a pretty looking thing. I mean, that, you know, it's got a wooden table there and the coffee stuff to make it look a bit better. But the board itself and, you know, the pieces that you have, it's good quality. It's a quality made game and the graphic design is pretty solid as well. So, you know, i got to give props for that. And you get these like cheap little metal coins. The rule book is horrible. This is the coffee trading handbook. It is a garbage rule book. It's not written very well, it's boring, it's bland, and trust me, the guy had to, I think, get some revised rules off the internet in order for us to learn this game. It really is a poorly written rule book. I would hate to be learning this from that. But the main thing is that I just found this kind of average. The main sort of highlights is that you get to piggyback off other players for certain actions. So there is a little bit more interactivity in this Euro than others, but Mainly, it's just a case of area control where you're trying to control, like, the majority of spaces in each region. But each region is identical, so whatever. I mean, Brazil is basically the same as Colombia, which is the same as Guatemala. It's just the color of track you want to level up. And so the main bit of fun, really, is the piggyback part, where when your traders and traders go out to various regions to get beans, which is basically... Every worker spawns two beans, and then the beans are distributed among everybody who wanted to go trade there in a specific turn order. And so if somebody goes there, you can decide if you want to piggyback off them. Same for a building. Someone builds something, do you want to piggyback and build the same building? That's basically it. That's the main part of interaction anyway. The rest of it is doing your own thing with your tracks. But you see this track on the right-hand side board here? Guess what that does? I don't know. It doesn't even have a name on the board. There's no name for this track. At least you know these are harvest tracks and storage tracks. I don't know what this is. I, to this day, I still don't know what the name of this track is. But what you do, you grab these little chits off the board with different colours and symbols on them, and you put them on the track, and you try to get different ones, because otherwise they don't move up, they stack, but then you can split a stack of certain ones to make it move up anyway, and it is the most generic, mechanical, Steffenfeld-style thing I've ever seen pasted onto a game that's supposed to be a thematic game about, well, it's not meant to be a thematic game, but, you know, a game that could be thematic about trading coffee. If you covered up the words coffee trader and didn't use the bean icon for your graphic design, you would literally not be able to tell that this was a game about making coffee. It is that themeless. That was already a put-off. This bit down here is technically the Starbucks board where you're selling coffee to various places. And so if you sell four blue or four lilac, yeah, if you're colorblind, have fun, um, five green, five or whatever, you put your token on it and it's basically it's the Lisboa chart. The international chart, you know, from that game. No, not Lisboa, um, Gallerist. It's the Gallerist International Market, where you put the stuff in the columns, you get a little bonus, and then at the end of the game, majority in the column scores points ranked by the one at the furthest at the bottom or something it's that's literally all that is it's just a way to get a little bit of money so the game is brain burning it is thinky there's certainly a lot to plan ahead for so it's definitely going to scratch a good itch for some heavy euro gamers but it's three to four hours y'all for not that many actions and for the dullness of just Let's build some buildings and move some cubes up a few tracks and spend those track cubes and then just make a little bit of points and then see who's got the most. And way I controlled all of Ethiopia. That was fun, I guess. The dryness of this game just puts me off. And there's not even that many paths to victory because you're kind of doing the same thing, really. You either, you all have to get beans and sell them off. 
Are you going heavy on the coffee bar bit I just mentioned before, or are you going heavy on the Arabiata track or whatever? You know, fine. But you've got to get fairly high on the Arabiata track, and for the most part, most people get pretty high on it by the end. So the point differential for most of this game isn't even that high. Mainly, the points are differentiated by the area control, which contributes quite a sizable amount to what you're doing, but also the buildings that you've made. Uh, the track at the end, that weird track, doesn't really make much sense. It doesn't even score you that much on top of everybody else. It's just... it's The game's not terrible, but it's just... It's average. I can't say enough good things about it to say it's good, but then I can't say enough bad things about it to say it's bad. It's just a bland game. You know, it's it, it got me thinking, and I'm glad I played it. I'm glad I crossed it off my bucket list. But this isn't a game I can see myself being excited to play again. If it hits the table, I'll play it, you know, with people that I know who reasonably will pick up the game quite quick in that. But you need to get yourself a set of revised rules because we did a fair bit of rules book checking. And, you know, you just need to know that this is a pretty dry game that just has coffee slapped on the title. And it's well produced. That's basically the deal. You know, it's it's got the makings of what... I don't know if this was a Kickstarter game, but it's got the makings of one all over it. My friends loved it to bits. They really enjoyed it, particularly one you know, one in particular. I foresee that if he doesn't get it himself, he's definitely going to try and want to get it played as often as possible. But for me, yeah, it, it did what I kind of expected it to do. It functions fine. It's going to appeal to some people, but I want a proper thematic. Give me a Viticulture theme style game for coffee. That'd be great. Hmm, is that too much to ask? Especially from someone like Captone Games? Oh well, like I say, 5 out of 10, whatever. So finally, right, after another swig, we're going to talk for a few minutes about Unconscious Mind. Oh yes, I finally got to play this one. Now this one was a bit of a weird one because two people had watched a playthrough that Paul Grogan had done. Uh, another person had watched some other playthrough, and I hadn't had a chance to do either, so I had to read from the Kickstarter rulebook almost verbatim. You know, not, not to other people. I read it verbatim and expressed it in proper words to others. I seem to be pretty good at doing that with rulebooks. But this is the next one from Fantasia Games. It's got uh, two different artists, one for the real world, one for dreams. It's you know including Vincent Dutrait and Andrew Bosley, both of which are great artists. Johnny Pack is one of the designers, among others. And it's you know coming after Endless Winter. The hype train for this is ridiculous. And that put me off it at first because the first few words I was hearing about this was the same people saying the same stuff where it's everything is the best game of 2023 etc and the game hasn't even finished on kickstarter yet for crying out loud let the game even finish development before you start calling it the best game of 2023 people this is what I hate about kickstarter hype it's such a pain so naturally I want to try this and give you my thoughts and you're probably thinking, hmm, is he going to do the same as Revive, where, you know, he has this anti-Kickstarter hype, but then it's like, you know, turns out to be one of the best games he's played. This one is good. Not great. Good. But it's going to need some more time. This has had some rules changes, some small rules changes, since uh, the first prototype was done. And even the rulebook I was reading had some updates to it. But the idea with Unconscious Mind is that you're basically psychologists and it's all based on sort of Sigmund Freud time. In fact, he's even going around the map. And essentially what you're doing is you're curing patients of various uh, mental uh, ailments, yeah, griefs or whatever, you know, catharsis and all this terminology I'd barely even heard of before. And what happens is that you've got this player board here with speech tokens, which I swear were airlifted straight out of Kanban. 
for workers, effectively. It's worker placement. And what you do is you have a board, uh, eventually somewhere, if I could stop seeing painted miniatures, that'd be nice. Uh, did anybody just put the board on the table? Here we go. Well, this will do. So this board, it, ah, I think that'll do. I'm trying to get this to do. That'll do. Fine. I'm sure it appears on the screen. Fine. But basically, this board is a worker placement board where you put your speech bubbles and do various actions. Some of them are to get technique tiles, which allow you to make your player board more interesting. But others are actions where you're grabbing these insight beads, which are essentially like the things that you use to cure the patients with. They're all generic. It's just basically colors and everything like that. They appear on these like dials and you just put them on the dial, uh, dials, these discs, these circular discs in front of you and you level up like level one, level two, level three in the three different colors. And this is basically the currency to cure patients. But on top of that, you also have a, on your player board, an ink pot which is a really cool inkpot miniature. And when you finish your action, you have the choice of curing patients or moving your inkpot around your board. So your, if I can find the player board again, and seriously, why is it so hard to find these things? Here we go. So with this, you can basically decide to move your inkpot and it moves around this left-hand track here. And so depending on where you put your worker on the other board dictates how far this thing moves. And it keeps doing loop the loops, but where it lands, it either unlocks more speech bubbles, uh, triggers a reputation bonus, or, or triggers all the technique tiles in a certain row. But it could also tr trigger all the technique tiles in a column if you've managed to unlock the entire column. So this is a really cool little puzzle that you've got on your turn, which I really kind of enjoyed doing. The curing of patients basically has each patient has a translucent sleeve layer on top of them with a Rorschach painting and a requirement, like a sort of how many hearts you have to cure. Then another dream card goes on top, a normal dream and then a latent dream. And the idea is, is that these dream cards, besides having really, really cool artwork from Andrew Bosley, have different requirements for those insight beads I mentioned, spend the beads, get the reward, which is points or some other icons and that, but also cures so many hearts from the patient. When you get to a certain level, it triggers something called catharsis, which automatically re removes the top grief layer from the client, which gives you some bonuses and obviously may brings them that little much further to being cured. Once you've cured every single heart, the client then goes in front of you as a, if it's a basic client and gives you a special ability for the rest of the game. But if it's an endgame one, it will give you some endgame scoring opportunities. So you've got a choice of how you want to go about curing these various patients. But, you know, the game is kind of a mix of all these things. So, you know, you've got a map as well to move your character around. And when you, choose, when you do an action that lets you move the character, you can trigger location actions. But depending how many tags for that location you have among your people, I'm sorry, among your cured patients and various other things you have on your board, you can do the location action multiple times. So as you can see, there's quite a lot going on in this game. And that's one of the slight problems with it. This is an AP player's worst nightmare. There's a lot of options for what you can do on your turn. A lot of options of how you can move your player piece and how you can move Freud. A lot of different bonuses. A lot of different ways your ink pot can move. A lot of different ways to cure clients. A lot of ways to manipulate those beads in front of you. It is a very heady puzzle. And that is the most fun part of the game. It is a very heady puzzle. It is a very entertaining puzzle. But man, this is going to drive AP players up the wall. I can just see this being like 
you know, a game that will drag its heels in four players. And it did drag its heels a bit. Granted, we were trying to learn a game as we played, so I can't exactly be too harsh on it. You know, if we were more familiar with the game, which I was by the end of it, then I reckon we could get it done faster easily. But the game's not short, y'all. You are talking a three-hour game here with four players, and with, you know, with less, you could probably make it quicker, but even so. And you're probably thinking, well, look, these components look fantastic, don't they? Well, granted the vincent detroit artwork and the andrew bosley artwork is gorgeous i love it it is such a beautiful looking game despite the fact that it's got a fair amount of browns in it everywhere but it is very nice and these components are great but remember that this is basically a deluxe version you're looking at so this is currently on kickstarter for like 120 dollars plus shipping plus uk tax if you want to buy with these really cool looking pieces included this game was good it's not $120 good. It needs time to stew in the oven. This curing patients gets very fiddly. The fact that there's multiple ways to cure them. You can only cure them one bit at a time. But then you've got to think, well, hang on. If I manipulate these beads to do this or move this up here or level this one. But then it's the idea that this patient could have five hearts on it. But then when you get one, well, it could have, say, you know, a few hearts on it. But then you cure a couple, trigger cathasis, which removes another heart leaving you with only a couple even though that your inside your board says that you've got three to cure even though there's only two remaining on the card it's there's a lot of weird stuff that props up with that catharsis rule and i'm hoping that this game gets streamlined because that's the main thing that this game needs a little bit of streamlining i think it's got just a bit too much in this game going on a bit too much to fiddle around with i could see this being hell for some at four players uh you know there will be a decent amount of downtime in that respect but it will be very tense for the worker placement spots, and certainly there was a bit of that. Oh, did I mention you can also grab research cards that you play out, which give you icons, and when you get enough of them, you can research these book tiles, a bit like Newton, and they give you points, and then people can cite off your various research books in order to do their own tiles. It's There's a lot going on in this game, y'all, you know, and in a good way. It is a fun game. I enjoyed it. By the time I was finished, I thought this is a solid game. This could be a, one of the better games of next year. Maybe. But it's too early to tell. It's also very expensive. I mean, the, the retail version of this is probably more closer to the price I would expect to pay for this kind of game. But that's not going to include a lot of these really cool components or any of the expansions or playmats. So you're going to have to pay $120 plus like $20 of shipping and then tax on top of that. This could be $150 bucks plus to buy this game, and I don't think it's worth that at the moment. I'd love to buy a deluxe version when it came out when I knew the rules were streamlined and set in stone, but it's going to be Kickstarter exclusive. So you've got that whole FOMO thing, the fear of missing out, which I'm a bit concerned about. And Endless Winter is a decent game, but even that has flaws. None of these games are perfect by any means, and there certainly are things that put me off each one, even though I think that they are both very good games. But yeah, that's a lot of money to ask. And I think the idea is that this one is still developing. It needs a bit more time in the oven. It needs to stew a bit longer, you know, just streamline some of those rules, get it a bit better worded in the rule book you know sort out maybe maybe cut out one or two of these mechanics or something that are in there just for the sake of having more mechanics i don't know find a way just to streamline it a little bit you know because endless winter has a lot going on but that one i felt just felt a bit more streamlined this one is definitely headier and more heavy than that one is but 
you know, having to fiddle around with this little thing in front of you for your, you know, curing patients, manipulating these dials, uh, sorry, not dials, you know, the beads on that circular tile in order to get what you need. It's a bit of a table hog. Uh, you know, you're going to have trouble trying to get this everywhere. But it does look good. I mean, some of these pictures are fantastic. Although, shame on you, the expansion for Nightmares has one with a giant spider on it. Seriously, do you arachnophobe much? I don't know, but... I could spend most of the game just looking at this gorgeous artwork, frankly, from Andrew Bosley, because it really is some cool, almost Dixit-style artwork. Not necessarily too... Well, I don't know. Some of it is pretty wacky. I mean, that one has a moon exploding in front of uh, people on the balcony, which is pretty funny. But, yeah, there's a lot going for this game. It is a good game, and I do think it's going to get its fans, and I think it's going to be a hit. But for me, for that price tag, I'm not sure it's a backer. We'll have to see. I don't know. I'm I'm certainly keen to see where this goes, and I think it could do well. But it just needs a little bit longer. Just keep it in the oven that little bit longer, streamline it, develop it that little bit more. Because if it released in its current state now, I would have issues and probably not want to get the game. But a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. Take your time. Make it great. But... Just bear in mind those Kickstarter hypers, okay? All right, this game is not going to be the best game of 2023 in the current state it's in. Be careful with your cash. Be more intelligent with your cash. Consider whether you want the extra content in there. I mean, do you really need the expansion? The expansion is mainly just a bunch of few, you know, a few cards, maybe one or two small mechanics, whatever. Do you really need that expansion? I think there's plenty enough in the base game to keep you going, frankly. Uh, do you really need the playmats? The playmats look cool, and I must admit, I'm a sucker for playmats. But again, $120 plus shipping plus tax. It's an expensive game for anybody in Britain or Europe, frankly. Maybe it's a bit cheaper in the US, you know, you don't have to pay that tax element. But still, it's a lot of money, y'all. I don't think it's quite worth that much money. But then are the components good enough for the retail version? I don't know. But as I say, just... Be wary about the FOMO that's out there. You know, take my take my first impressions for what they're worth. You know, you know, take it with a pinch of salt if need be. But as I say, very good game. Just needs a bit longer. Right, well, that's it for me. Uh, that's all the new games that I played at, S um, at GridCon, sorry. And, but I still got to enjoy... Uh, what did I... What else did I play? What else did I play that wasn't new? Not much. Although I did play Ark Nova twice. <laughs> yes, there's no convention where I won't play Ark Nova. And I played it twice. Love it, love it, love it. I also played Fort. Got to teach Fort, which was really uh, good fun. You know, they really enjoyed it. Oh, and I also got to play more of Precognition. Another game I need to review soon, actually. I'm close to being able to review it. The new game from Ludonaut, where you've got the dual select card system. I've got some interesting uh, things to say about that, you know, both good and bad, but uh, overall I really enjoyed it as well. So it's, you know, there's some cool stuff on the horizon and I certainly got some great games played. But yeah, GridCon 3 was brilliant. GridCon's a fun convention. Seriously, people, you know, if you get a chance to go next year, then please do. It's great fun. It's definitely worth your time. It's just you know, support Paul Grogan, support Gaming Rules, you know, if you can support me as well, but by all means, you know, he does a lot, of, he puts in a lot of effort for his videos, and they're good playthroughs, and they're brilliant tutorials, I mean, you try and play Deal with the Devil without watching Paul Grogan's video, I dare you, same goes for the ISS Vanguard and his rulebook, you know, and, you know, the stuff he'll do for Frostpunk and that, 
You need his stuff, all right? His rule books and videos are brilliant, and he deserves more credit than he gets, you know? I don't know whether it's just being British gets us less views. I don't know, but it's criminal that his channel doesn't get more views per video compared to a lot of other channels that do the same thing, you know? what? What is it so bad? I don't know, but as I say, support Paul Grogan, support Gaming Rules if you can. I'm already a patron of his, so, you know, <laughs> take that opinion for what it's worth, but... You know me, I tell it how it is. I put my stock behind, you know, I'm very careful about what I put my stock behind and Paul Grogan's one of those people. So if you can go to GridCon next year, it'd be great to see you. It'd be great to meet you and play some cool games. But those are my first impressions of a bunch of games that I played at GridCon this year. I'll see you next year, I guess. I mean, when's the next convention? Probably BayCon in April, I guess, because I don't go to AirCon anymore. And I don't really do any cons in February, so probably Baycon in April, if I feel like it. Probably, I, I don't know, I have to make a decision on Baycon. It was alright last year, but it wasn't amazing. But certainly I will make a massive effort to go to the UK Games Expo next year. My brother can only get married so often in his life. So that's it for me. I'll see you on the next Broken Meeple video. Remember, if you like what you see, check out my videos on Board Game Geek and please thumb them up. Let's get some of those in the hottest reviews if you can. There are already some videos there that get a lot of people to thumb them up after they're released. I would love it if you could do the same as well. If you spot one of my videos on Board Game Geek, please just go on it, click like, that'd be great. I don't need geek gold, just a thumb would be fantastic. But also thumb it up on this channel and of course leave your comments down below and let me know your thoughts on these games. Any of these duds for you, any of them hits for you, let me know your thoughts on whether you're thinking of backing a couple of these or whether you think they're good value for money etc. Just get your thoughts down below, I want to hear what you have to say. So until next time, take care and always remember it's only a game regardless of how much you want to spend on it. Take care, bye for now.